Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robins on the Wire, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol City reporter Gregor McGregor. Welcome along to Robins on the Wire. Hello, my name's Michelle Owen. And Gregor is on holiday this week, but that hasn't stopped us getting a hold of him and getting his thoughts and his reviews and what happened, really, over Easter weekend. Astonishingly, Bristol City only picked up one point, but there's still only a point outside the playoffs. It's all to play for in the final run-in. We'll speak to Gregor. Also going to be chatting to a man who came through Bristol City's youth system. He didn't make many appearances. He's been hampered by injuries through his career, and sadly, he's had to retire he was just 27 when he retired. Christian Ribeiro will be chatting to us at length today on the podcast as our special guest. And also, you'll be hearing from ex-Bristol City striker. He was on loan last season, the top goal scorer from last season, Tammy Abraham. But let's start by getting Gregor's thoughts on the Easter weekend fixtures. A few thoughts then and on the last couple of games. And I'll start with Friday's, Good Friday's game up at Barnsley and have to say that the home side were well worth a point and in fact they were actually a little bit unlucky not to get the full three. Um, Bristol City started okay and um, but then Barnsley's sort of use of Kiefer Moore as a battering ram up front was um, something that ba- uh, Nathan Baker and Bailey Wright just really couldn't deal with and yeah, all the good stuff from um, the Tykes came through more and uh, I was really impressed by um, McBurney as well. Obviously, he's um, well known as a as a good striker after his, what, six, seven goals since he signed uh, for Jose Moray's side and um, he, he was a real threat throughout. Nutmegged Eros Pizano at one point. That hasn't happened too many times this season and... Um, yeah, he, he was quite influential, but Moore was the main danger man and he scored the first goal and um, set up the second goal. And um, yeah, only for a, a piece of brilliance from Famara Di Jeju to um, bring the Robins back into it before half-time, before Josh Brownhill's last-minute equaliser. Um, and yeah, Bristol City were a little bit lucky, I thought, to get a point up there, but still, it's a really good point. And... I was discussing with a few other journalists up there that Bristol City have got this good record of, of scoring late goals and, um, yeah, we've seen it several times this season. I can think of, obviously, the the Brentford uh, Bobby Reed equaliser at Griffin Park and has obviously a late goal against Manchester City at home um, too, in fact. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've seen plenty of late strikes this season and it's it's good characteristic. So from the good of that to the bad of Monday and um, a dreadful performance against Brentford, Brentford really don't know where that came from. Um, if I had to guess what the main reason was, and I do think, well, basically, if you look back on it, 
the first half was pretty poor. Second half was really, really dreadful. First half, Bristol City did actually have some chances to take the lead. Just the quality was lacking. If you remember, there was a great chance for Ryan Kent. He could have put Bobby Reed through, sort of a three-on-two break. He could have fed in Reed, but he couldn't find the pass. And then Bobby Reed had another chance down the left where he could have just crossed it to um, Jeju, who was unmarked in the middle. If he'd got that correct, um, been accurate with the final ball then um, Bristol City would have taken the lead and things could have been very different. It always felt like a 1-0 close game, that. And yes, um, uh, Bristol City didn't deserve anything from the game. Brentford was superb and obviously there's that stat going around about how Brentford had 27 shots to Bristol City's two and that is a big um, indicator of, of the domination that the Bees had. However, when you look at the quality of chances Brentford created and I, and I know that um, after the game Dean Smith had said that his side had something like 17 shots in the box which is phenomenal but you actually look at the um, uh, XG, which is the big stat in football these days, as in expected goals, then Brentford were actually only expected to score two goals by the end of the game. Uh, In contrast, Bristol City were expected to score none because they only had those two shots, one blocked and Flint's header well, well wide. So, yeah, Bristol City were never really going to get much out of the game. What was it down to? Well, I think the two games in close succession, Lee Johnson hardly made any changes. Flint came in, he looked really rusty, really, really rusty. Uh, We saw that with Baker in the game before as well. Um, Only really Marlon Pack rested. Ryan Kent came in and I I, I thought he was really poor, I have to say. He he wasted the ball so many times. He's got to do better. Really can't see much of a future for him, even at Ashton Gate and possibly with Dione as well. Um, However, the plus points were that I thought Brownhill was excellent in both games. Didn't get enough of the ball against Brentford. Uh, And Liam Walsh, I thought he was really good. Um, Didn't get enough of the ball, really. But then Bristol City didn't get enough of the ball in general. Um, But he is only young, and he's going to be there for the long term. And I think that's a major plus point. I thought he did look quality at times. And I did ask Lee Johnson after the game whether his tactics were right, because I didn't think that playing 4-4... Uh, 1-1 was quite correct because Brentford always have these three midfielders in the middle. It's the old three against two conundrum. Um, And okay, first half it was fairly even and uh, Lee Johnson pointed that out. I agree with him. But second half it was one-way traffic. To be fair to Lee, he did say that they tried to change tactics two to three times but nothing changed the course of the game and maybe that's just down to an indicator of the squad strength that City have got at the moment. So, bigger picture, we're back there, seventh position, um, just a point or two outside the top six. Yes, we would have taken that, um, just six games to go, huge game at Millwall at the weekend and City have got to start winning if they're going to take this opportunity, if they don't then hopefully they'll be stronger for it next season. But I still, ridiculous as it may sound, I still do have a sneaky suspicion myself that they're going to pull together a few wins and um, and maybe nab that sixth place. Let's see what happens. The eternal optimist, Gregor. I like it. So now I'm going to be chatting to a man who came through the Bristol City youth system. This is very exciting. Christian Ribeiro. Let's go and have a chat to him now. 
So I'm joined now by our special guest, Christian Ribeiro. Christian, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, we've got so much to talk to you about. We're going to come on to how Bristol City have done this season. I'm sure you'll have your thoughts about that and how they're doing currently as well. But first, let's talk about yourself. And let's go right back to the beginning. So you're a product of Bristol City's sort of youth system, aren't yeah. you? So when did you join the club? How old were you? Well, it's, it's quite a long story, really. I joined at 10 years old. I remember going through a couple of trials back then it would be in the end of nines and the tens and I was there then all the way till I was 22 so I went through all the different age mm. groups I had plenty of different managers all the youth team managers and I think even now I go back and see people like Dave Horseman and Pete Coleman they're still running the academies and things so there's still some friendly faces there at the club but yeah I've had a, a long affiliation really with Bristol City and it's only in the last five or six years mm. that I've gone away from it but now with retiring hopefully I'll come back a little bit closer and be a bit more involved so when you started out coming through the youth system, went on to make some senior appearances, sort of what happened really? Because you only made, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, around 14 yeah, appearances. Yeah, it wasn't too many. Um, no. And you had injuries and things like that, you were loaned out a lot, yeah. so talk us through it from your perspective. Yeah, well, for me, I was probably at my peak potential by the age of about 17, 18, and that was when I was, as, as an age group, I was, I was at my 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 best standard compared to other people at that age group. But then when I made my debut at Bristol City at 18, I, I did my knee and I never really got back to the same level. And I still, luckily enough, made a decent career out of it and I managed to play a few times, but I had a lot of ongoing issues from that injury that caused other problems and I couldn't be, and I wasn't fit enough then for a while to continue playing. I, I would end up playing five or six games and then stepping out again and it was a bit of a problem. And by the end of it, really, it was, I was frozen out probably by the time I was 21, 22 and I had a few loans and it didn't really end for me very well there but it, looking back on it there's a few things I could have done differently but I do understand at the time that I don't think I was doing enough consistently to warrant a place in that side which was a good championship club it's mm. a high level of football yeah. and I, I still felt I could have done something but at the time I was probably at my worst injury wise where I was just breaking down all the time and it, and it came from one initial injury that Anyone who's in sports understands that when you have one major one and maybe it didn't reti uh, return... What happened? Did you do an ACL or something? Or? I did ACL, I did my cartilage, and then when I returned, it, my knee wasn't still quite right. I was able to play, but I think I... I did you have I doubt sort of in the back of your mind? I suppose yeah. when you have that doubt, it's hard to commit fully. Absolutely. Well, I think as well, the type of player I was, I was a very athletic-based player, so I was very fast, very agile, and after doing my knee, I lost some of that, so that affected my game a lot, mm. and... If, if only I was a really skillful centre mid that didn't use any <laughs> athleticism, I might have been okay. But I think if you look in the football industry, the guys who suffer the knee injuries, and majority of them don't come back to the level they were before. Mm -hmm. The ones who do tend to be the less athletic players who rely on more technique, which is a good thing. I wish I'd had yeah. a higher level but technique. But you, you had to get up and down the pitch, so yeah. that wasn't an option. And really. my, my biggest strength and the bit that set me apart from others was how fast I was and how fit I was, how agile I was. Mm -hmm. Being a fullback slash centre-back defender, that was my biggest um, separating me from everyone else. Mm -hmm. And after losing a little bit of that, I didn't lose it all because I still managed to have a good career, so I was fortunate that I had so much of it, even losing a bit of it, I still yeah. managed to make a, make a career. But I didn't quite have that the, the same X factor I did at 18. And then by having a compensation issue, the way you change the way you run, everything you move, I couldn't twist the same that I used to, so I had to change the way I played, and it probably didn't help my game, but I knew I had to go backwards a little bit to change the way I did everything. 
And unfortunately for me, over the next sort of two or three years, I just kept breaking down with other problems. Do you ever sort of look back right at the start when that injury happened and think, what if that hadn't happened? That's every 10 seconds, I think. I think that's sort of thing. And I, I, as much as you get on old and you have to get over it, I'll never not think about, oh, if only I didn't. I remember I followed a player across the pitch which I didn't need to follow and I just twisted really innocuously and bang, knee crack and uh, it was out of nowhere where I never really had injuries before and things never had knee problems all of that so it just, it just happens it's sport and I've said before to a number of people that I, you know, I'm not the worst case that will ever be and there'll be other people that will go through it as well but the, the shame for me was it happened so early on that I was never able to build a career and that most people, if they do their knee halfway through their career, they've already had a good career. Mm. They've already managed to cement themselves in a high level and, and whatever it is. But because I did it at the start, I never was able to quite reach the levels mm. um, I wanted to. But you, you can't get too bitter and down about it. It's happened now. There's nothing you can do to change it. I've gone through a lot of rubbish with it and I'm having to manage it a lot. But that's part and parcel of sport. You just That's part of the risks you take when you become mm. involved professionally. But you did, you did have some really successful spells perhaps I'd say your most successful time was Exeter City is it yeah, fair to say I mean you're very, very regular there yeah. you know, one of the first team players Paul Tisdale yeah. was always picking I, your knee you did look like you know having covered you quite a lot you looked like one of the best players yeah well I think when I was at Bristol the big problem was staying fit more than anything else and I had a few loans to League One teams mm. and that started to build my confidence back in my own body really mm-hmm. but at the time at Bristol there was a lot of changes with the managers and in the last couple of years over there the team started to really struggle and we were often f- close to relegation yeah. just staying up and things so when I left at 22 I think I was under Derek McInnes and it, and it seemed at that point the manager was changing almost every year it was a real um, and I think the whole club as well there was a lot of changes in the club from the couple of years before that to probably the two or three years after that Bristol mm. City had a period where I'm not sure how successful there were lots of managers going eventually they did go down didn't they and bounce yeah. back up again so it was quite a uh, you know a changeable period for the club and then I went to Scunthorpe after that because I was already on loan there and they already knew where I was it was League One they just got relegated from the Championship the year before so I thought oh well it's a long way away <laughs> which wasn't ideal so you're, you're from around here aren't you, you yeah, well, you're I'm, sort of Gloucestershire I'm from you? Swansea originally yeah. and then I moved my family moved over to Gloucestershire way which is a bit further north of Bristol but um so I came through Bristol. So these were my areas in the southwest. But this is a massive move. It is, you know. It's a long way, and I'll be honest, it's not the nicest part of the world. But, <laughs> but it, unfortunately, in the southwest, there's not too many other teams that were that high a standard. So you had Bristol Rovers at the time, who were a decent standard. Would you have gone to then, Bristol Rovers? Really? There was a ta- there was an opportunity once or twice to go there, but I, in the end, it didn't happen. I, I, may, I probably would have later on in my career, but um, at the start, there wasn't that opportunity. And I think Swindon were a decent side at yeah. the time, and but that was a, a, quite an odd run club where they they generally went for very young players mm-hmm. and things. So later on in my career, when I was probably more comfortable and eligible to go back there, they weren't really keen. They were looking for young twenties that they yeah. build up and sell on. And so there wasn't any other teams local that were teams to play for. Mm-hmm. Forest Green were very small. Uh, Newport weren't there. Yeovil were really small. So there was no external league to it. I still had ambitions to be a championship player yeah, and to course, re- yeah. regain my international status. All this stuff. So I didn't want to go anywhere lower than League One. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded there was a few things fell away and I ended up going to Scunthorpe and with hope that we'd have a good year and things go well and it ended up being the complete opposite. <laughs> we had the manager sacked after about two months 
Uh, we had new manager come in, and then we were we actually had lots of good individuals, but as a team, we were terrible. Uh, we got relegated by last game of the season, so you went from being in the Championship club thinking, "Oh, I'll just drop down and come back up again," to going to League One. Suddenly, I was in League Two, yeah. really, yeah, and it's. It's crazy. I managed to play a good amount of games and I learned a lot. I was inexperienced and so I made some mistakes but I had a lot of good games as well. And um, it was just, that's part of Barcelona football. You cannot yeah. predict anything in football. No. And it, it was just, it was just a bad group. It wasn't that they were necessarily all bad people but as a group we were just a really poor team. Just didn't click. And, and, and as it happens that team then dispersed and lots, lots of them are playing championship now or high league one but as a team we were awful and yeah before I knew it I was playing in League 2 oh, it was God. crazy yeah. but um, but I, somewhere along the way you got your two Welsh caps yeah well that was at Bristol when I was playing a little bit at Bristol and I had a, a few spells on the team that actually went really well mm. the, the games I actually played for Bristol went well it's just I didn't play much so I was always <laughs> injured and I was frozen out at the end so there was some good moments there and there was a few times when before I went before I did my knee I nearly went to Everton and then when I had a few games for Bristol then there was some opportunities again that cropped up which I thought oh here we go I'll get my, my act together again here we go and then again I was just struck down with another injury or something would change mm. and I, I, I could never maintain the level high enough that you're seeing some of the guys now in the Bristol they're all excellent players I just couldn't stay at that level yeah. it's a shame really but well and nice. what is a real shame is, is the news that at the age of 27 I know you've just turned 28 but you were playing for Oxford United and this injury has hampered you so much yeah. that you've, you've had to retire at the age of yeah, 27 I know it's not ideal but I think I knew from a young age that once I, ha I did this knee I wasn't going to be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve but I, I was, I'm a very determined person so I, I gave as much as I could and I spent the whole career looking after it and getting as much out of it as I could but by the end I I was in a bad way by the end and the last few years have been a problem a serious problem but I was playing getting on with it uh, doing the best I can now, ironically I was actually playing quite well for the last <laughs> year I think that the experience that I learned because I didn't play so many games in the early part of my career it took me to about 100 to 150 career games so I really understood how to be a good footballer mm. and most players get that by the time they're 20 21 years old so they've but got because, those games under the belt exactly and because I was injured all the time I didn't get that so I was still an inexperienced player by the age of 22 23, 24 so only came got to, once I got to about 25 24, 25, 26 that's when I started to understand the game a little bit better and my game started improving and ironically that's when physically I was deteriorating more than ever yeah. but that's just how it happens unfortunately I could never combine the two but um, yeah and then this year I was playing every week at Oxford and it was going really well we had, a, we had a strong team and I was captain a few times and things but uh, I, I was meant to start on the Saturday against Gillingham and on the Friday my knee was hurting a bit and something just really innocuously happened and suddenly my knee almost went numb and I just thought something's just happened here because I always play in a certain level of pain but you get through it etc and then I remember hobbling through the rest of the training session the last five minutes not being able to move thinking that something's wrong I've, I've just done something but I'm going to start the next day. It didn't swell or anything. I went to see the physio. No reaction. He's looking at it thinking, oh, it looks okay. Just like bends it around. Oh, it's very stiff. Don't have the extension flexion, but it moves it around. All right, we'll see what it's like tomorrow. So I um, went back home, a bit in pain, but I thought, right, rest it, see how we go the next day. It still hasn't swollen up, so I'm not sure what I've done. Maybe I just tweaked it a little bit, whatever. And then I turn up the next day, still meant to be starting, and it's still stiff and things. I go out to warm up, and I can't move. Oh, my gosh. One bit at all. So I... I I can jog in a straight line limping, but I can't turn whatsoever. And um, so that, that, it was a nightmare really. And then I pulled out of that game 
and we it was like I said it was it was sore but it wasn't swollen or anything we ended up having some um, injections that are like a lubricate injection they're not steroid injections they're meant to like lubricate the joints and things and that was over the course of a couple of weeks and the knee did improve a lot so I thought oh okay maybe whatever I did I just jarred it so when you have a bad knee in joints you do jar things you do have times when things innocuously happen and um, ironically again nothing to do with me when I was out the team lost three or four games quite quickly and we were near the playoffs at the time mm. and um, so suddenly there was a little bit of a panic at the club where we were hit a little bit of bad run of form and I was rushed back to play I think it was Peterborough at home and I barely trained so I trained on like the Friday and was told I was starting next day and we ended up going on a run and we won sort of four or five games and I played my knee was okay and it progressively from then got worse so every game got a little bit got a bit worse a bit worse, yeah. a bit worse. and um, I played about seven games on that knee and we won four or five at the start and then we lost two or three at the end and by the end I don't know how I was playing the knee was just getting worse and worse. it was probably over a period of about six weeks yeah. that I went from being in, a, in pain to being my knee was in tatters and I couldn't kick the ball on my left foot anymore it was like a knife going in it what I um, was on strong painkillers all the time I was struggling going up and down stairs and I suppose when you think back to it now it's a bit crazy that I was playing again through it you're desperate yeah desperate I, I was keen to and at the time well, I was enjoying having quite a leadership role at Oxford and uh, I was one of the more senior players. Even though I wasn't the oldest, I was taking on some of the captaincy and vice-captaincy. I was enjoying it. It was a great group of people. And I felt a responsibility to to help and yeah. to contribute. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And I felt like I was wanted. I felt like I was needed. So I, I wanted to give something back. I obviously didn't realise the severity of what I was playing on. But by the end, I remember it was... Northampton at home similar conversation on the Friday I speak to the manager he's asking how my knee is and I said oh it's, it's okay I'll, I'll be alright and in training I couldn't move I meant to start the next day and I pulled out of training and the physio said look we can send you for a scan um, that was the day I went for a scan at 15 minutes I had the results back and it was like a scroll of issues from no the knee and it was a case of saying look you need to talk with your family because you shouldn't play anymore it's, doctor's yeah, orders yeah and I think if I if I had absolutely nothing, I probably could play to a certain degree in terrible pain and whatever. But I'd already been doing that, and I knew how bad it was. You're only um, you're damaging yourself so much. Uh, if I carried on playing at all, I'd be struggling to walk in the next ten years and things, and probably earlier than that. So even now, I know I'm going to have to have probably serious uh, operations in the future and things, interventions with it. So it was quite an easy step for me to say, oh. No. I had yeah. been on my mind for a little while. Mm. I didn't know it was going to be that day, and I didn't know the what I was playing with was quite so serious. But I knew it was coming at some mm. point. I knew I wasn't going to be playing in my thirties, but um, I didn't expect it to be, you know, a third into the season yeah. of only twenty seventh. But it is what it is. A lot of people are asking questions for you on Twitter. Um, one from Crippy Cook said, "Where do you see yourself now? Like, are you still going to be in football, say, in five years' time, or might you be doing something else, some media work? I mean." Uh, a lot of people are sort of asking what your plans are now. Yeah, well, it, it's really difficult. And a few people, uh, so many people just ask me straight away off the cuff, well, what are you going to do next? And what people don't understand is when you're in football, as I've been since I was 16 years old, you don't know anything else. So when you're in a well, football environment... It's even before you're 16, aren't you? Because exactly. you, from, you were Bristol City yeah. from sort of under 9 to under 10. So exactly. from, that, from that age, you've from, always wanted to play football. Yeah, from 16, you become a full-time footballer, whether you're in a youth team or first team level. And I was accelerated to first team by just before I was 17. So I was in like a full-time football role all my life. Mm. So all I know is 
the football environment and how football makes your world very small. It's a 24-hour-a-day job. You can't do anything because it affects your football. Mm. And it's it's just a fact. Every footballer will tell you that it just takes over your life. It makes your world very small. All you're worried about is the game next Saturday. Yeah. It's very difficult. So then people ask me, oh, what do you want to do next? And I have been working on some other things in the background, but it's a really hard one to just say, oh, yeah, I want to do this, I want to do that. The realistic answer is I'll probably do a number of things. And I feel like there's some obligation to give back because I have experience of playing football at a decent level for a number of years so I feel it's a bit silly to step away totally even though I've had a lot of negative experiences in football I still feel there's something to give back whether that's in a coaching role there's some consultancy stuff going on potentially at clubs and bits and bobs that are happening maybe PFA and it just seems silly to step away totally when my contacts and the, the people that I've known the all this time exactly Ian Forbes said on Twitter with a career that no pro would envy how did you keep yourself motivated to, to keep battling on and did you ever consider walking away from the game completely during these periods well, there's, that's I think you can only answer that every person's different I think one of my strengths was my personal discipline and determination when I was leading up all the way to 18 I just thought I've got what it takes I, th- I always just had that inner confidence I could make it at the top level that was always my dream so even when I knew deep down that my body couldn't handle that anymore I still had that mentality that every day I would do the extra work on my knee I needed when I was home I was icing my knee I'd, I'd it's have to discipline stretch. though doesn't it because oh. all the like you know as someone that hasn't you know had a serious injury touch wood or anything like that even like when you get a little knock and you've got to do some stretches every night, you know, it's a hassle and you don't want to do them. It's a real commitment Absolutely. to go and do something every single day. And that must have taken quite a lot of time out of your day as well. It was, I dread to think the amount of hours I put into it because I would have to do things when it was getting particularly bad and throughout a lot of it, I would have to do things every day to make sure I could run the next day. So it would be, it could be like an hour stretch session. So I know if I didn't stretch the next day, my knee would be hurting so much I'd struggle to train. All of these things that I was just doing in the background. Nobody knew, but and it wasn't like I was getting paid extra to do these things. This was just things I was taking out of my own life and stresses I was putting on myself. That um, it, it was necessary for me to get to where I got to. And if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have lasted as long as I had and played the level I did. I think, quite honestly, if I didn't have that mentality, I'd have been finished in my early 20s just because I knew that the body couldn't handle it. It needed that extra help, and it got me so far but even that didn't get me all the way. So it's just something that you have to take on. And lots of footballers have that that kind of discipline and drive because they wouldn't be there in the first place. Mm. Uh, It's it's not easy, but you just... But you've had to have the extra drive, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andy says, who's the best manager you worked under? Is coaching something you're interested in pursuing? And if so, what would you take from the managers you played for? Yeah, well... From the coaches, I am going to do my B licence and I've had a few opportunities to do coaching at Bristol City and Oxford and things like that, which I am interested in and I'm sure I'll do some bits on that, whether it'll be a full-time role or more some part-time bits while I'm doing. I'm doing some scouting at Oxford for them, helping, I'm doing some media work. So there's a number of options around there. But again, I come back to, with 10 years experience playing football league and playing championship league one, league two, a little bit of internationals and things, well, you can give spack to people. I wish I had... If I'd had me as a full-back defender on my shoulders as a 14-year-old, I could have been such a better player. The amount I could help somebody else with just the simple learnings of how to play a football game that often, until you play it and you play it at a high standard, you don't realise all the little things that are going on. Mm. And it took me, as I mentioned, it took me really about 100 games, first-team games, so I fully understood everything I needed to do and what it took to win a game, what it took to really 
contribute to a team. Before that, you're always thinking, how do I play well today? How am I going to get noticed? How am I going to get applauded? And the older I got, the more I realised that's not actually the point. Right. And it took. It sounds really obvious, but it's not. You want, and every footballer will be thinking the same thing: is how because it is a selfish game in that. All these guys are in their own careers. They're, they're getting you don't paid. want to be dropped. You know, exactly. you don't want to be scapegoated. They're, they're all ambitious. They all want to achieve the highest level possible. They all have their own personal goals. But if you put the team first, you actually become a good, better player. And I only clicked in my head later on in my career. And that's when, ironically, I started playing better. I started being a, a bigger contributor to the teams. I started being one of the first names on the team sheet. It took me all those games to learn that it's not just about me being a really good player because there's so much more to a game than that and I wish I had that mentality at 20 I might have stayed at Bristol at that time and all of this but that's experience you only learn it by playing but from the, the manager's perspective the last three managers I played for Tisdale, Appleton and Pep Clotet, they were the best three and they were all different in their own way uh, Tiz was very detailed and I learned a lot about how to analyse football games how to, how to think when you're on the pitch from him and that was his biggest strength whereas Michael Appleton was all about intensity and the, the standard he set every day. He's quite a scary bloke, but he's a really inspirational. Good boy, yeah. <laughs> he, he's a really, a really great man. That he just drove the standards at Oxford and he turned that club around. Their club was really languishing. That was a good club, but it was languishing in League Two, not achieving anything. And he turned it around within two years. And then now he's off in the Premiership, and I'm sure he'd be a Championship manager, Premiership manager. He he just set the bar really. High. The training was so hard every day, and it, that was a fantastic strength of his. And he drove that club on. And then Pep Clotet at the end was a bit more like Tiz, but he was even more tactical. He brought a different side of it where he'd had a Spanish influence and. He was a little bit of both, and we had the high standards. And I was quite close with him over my time. He treated me pretty well, and he had a different sort of tactical play that was probably more set to the higher levels, almost. Where it was quite nice playing what a formation and a style play that maybe a Premiership team would play or a Championship yeah. team. He brought that to Oxford, and it worked really well for a large period. The reason that fell apart for him was, unfortunately, at Oxford we ended up selling a few of our star players, and. Ironically, the, the times when I was retired, we ended up losing our captain, Curtis Nell. The same week I retired, we lost, so someone like me, we lost our captain to a ruptured Achilles. We lost our best winger to his knee, who hasn't played all season. And we lost a couple of us. So we ended up losing four or five starting players yeah. really quickly. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the team changed from, from the first game of the season to December. The team had changed probably 75%. And when you can't have that in a season, no. teams collapse like that. And we ended up, you know, there's a lot of younger players have come in and they've had a hard time in the second half of the season just because no team wants to change that much. It's very difficult. Mm. And in the end, it, it, it ended up costing him his job. And that's, the, that's football. That's it's football, the luck of the draw, yeah. isn't it? Some of these teams, if you look like a Cardiff team, as an example, or a Shrewsbury, someone that's doing fantastic this year, a lot of it is because they've had the same team for the whole year. They've yeah. found some form along the way. They've got a formula. And they've been able to replicate it every week. And then you'll look down at the league, somewhere like in Oxford and in the Championship, you'll probably look at some of the teams down the bottom there and you think the reason they're down there is not necessarily they're a bad team, it's just they haven't been able to maintain any consistency in the players and the squad. And that's what happens. It happens every year. It just so happens Oxford was one of them this year. That brings us nicely on then to Bristol City and how they're doing at the moment. Uh, form has really gone off the boil. Not a great Easter weekend, but somehow they are still within a shout of the playoffs. They're a point outside... 
you know, they did so well in the first half of the season. What do you think has gone wrong? I mean, you know, you've just been talking about injuries there. They have lost a, a number of key players. You think about the injury to Callum O'Dowder and yeah. there's a few other players that have been out too. Well, the, from the games I've seen at Bristol, I've been really impressed. And I think what people have to understand, and I, it's, it's the same at every football club and everything, people get are so quick to get negative. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing, whatever it is. I think you have to look objectively and see Bristol City are still one point outside the playoffs there's still six games to play they've still got an amazing opportunity that it, people will forget about this if they win the next four out of the next six five out of the next six get in the playoffs and win the playoffs they're going to forget about this mm-hmm. run. and I think people are getting a little bit negative too early that that team needs positivity now. And it's achieved so much this season. You it's had a fantastic run, you know? season. I, I, that first half, they had a brilliant first half in the league. They had an amazing cup run. They put Bristol City back on the map in the whole country, which is an amazing feat. They've got loads of really talented players. They've added value to probably 10 to 15 players there that they could move on if they want. So as a club, they've done every business element they want correctly. They're having a really positive season. Even if they don't go up and they finish 7th, that's still a really good mm. season. Like I said that their their squad value has probably gone up quadruple to what it was yeah. at the start of the season. Yeah. And and Bristol City now, everyone who talks about Bristol City will remember the cup games. They're thinking positively. It's had an amazing season. Everyone now is starting to get a little bit negative, thinking that yes, they have stumbled a bit of late. But that's the time when everyone needs to get round that team, really drive them on. They still can do it. Mm. I, I think if you were six points away now, then yes, it's going to be a tough ask. They're just Point. outside. Mm-hmm. They're just outside. They still have so many good players there, and the performances I've seen. Maybe they've had a few bad ones recently. It doesn't matter. Things can change very, very quickly. They still have an opportunity to do a wonderful thing and get in that playoffs this year. Which, for a club like Bristol, which is very ambitious, is still I, I don't know slightly overachieving. Even if you look at the other clubs in that league, teams like the Leeds, Notts Forest. There's so many teams that are massive clubs yeah. that have been in the Premiership before, and. Bristol are up there, punching it above their weight, really, with the top sides. And I almost get, it's a little bit of a pet hate of mine, the negativity that's so easy to come around in football. I think everyone should be really almost grateful how well they've done. And everyone should come together now and think, can we drive on and get there? It's interesting you say that, because Lee Johnson said, uh, after the Easter Monday defeat, uh, he said they need love. You know, his players need love. Can you relate to that as a player? I mean, and also, did you play with Lee Johnson at Bristol So I played with Lee Johnson maybe a handful of times first year but we were together for years in the club but he was more he was playing first year I was coming through and obviously I was injured a mm. lot but we were together and oddly enough I bumped into him the other day and said hello it's the first time I've seen him for years which was really nice but um, Jamie McAllister his assistant I played with at Bristol and Exeter so I know him really well so really great people there driving the club and I, I think that is actually a really accurate statement from him he's a really sharp bloke himself that that team now the fact they're struggling a little bit, maybe a little bit of the pressure, the feeling, probably a bit of fatigue, they played a lot of games, but the only way to get above that and to play above yourself, to really get every last percentage is that positivity, it drives you on. And I think the club has is, is had such a wonderful year. People have to remember that everything they do can help push that team on. They should think, how can they affect that team to get that promotion that they really want? The only answer is positivity. What do you make of someone like Bailey Wright, the captain? It was when he was substituted on Monday, it, some fans cheered that. See, to me, someone like who I think is an excellent player, I've seen him for a number of years, I just come back to, if you think of it as how can people affect this team? How can they get the best out of Bristol City? Everybody wants Bristol City to be in the Premiership. Everyone that's supporting them 
in their ideal frame of mind they want to get into the playoffs now to get in the premiership so being negative and dragging people down and I, and I understand things can be poor that's not helping the team they have to think how can they group together and give them that 1% 5% that just drives them on and I think they have to understand that, th- that these players will need that you, it's almost like when they go in and pay and watch a game I understand they don't want to see bad football or you know if the team's struggling they're losing at home it is frustrating of course it is but there's still so much to play for. I just think you don't need to... It's almost like I, I heard things on the news and people commenting saying as if it's the end of the season, we're not going to make it. You're one point off. I know. And if you look at how tight the championship is, you know, they're, they're right in there. And I'm sure that if you'd given any Bristol City fan this season at the start of the season, they would have bitten your hand off, right? I, I, I absolutely think so. People, I, I come back to it. It's about having a little bit of perspective and just thinking, hang on, it's still a fantastic season. I know the team's stumbling at the minute, but what's to say they don't go on the weekend and win 3-0 and suddenly that all changes around. They think, hang on, if you win three or four games on the spin, you'll get into that top six and you'll have a bit of momentum going into that. Playoffs are a lottery. So I, I just come back to it. For me, on the outside, being someone who obviously supports Brazilian, but is someone unbiased of it, I can't understand the negativity. Mm. And ironically, Oxford are having a similar thing where they've had lots of negativity with the fact they dropped down and bits of issues they've had. But think, teams like Oxford, teams lower in the championship, they would bite the hands of teams like Bristol City who have mm. still got something to play for. So many teams now have nothing to play mm. for. And Bristol have a wonderful opportunity to play in the biggest game in the world, playing for the champ- to playing for the promotion to the Premiership. And they've achieved so much that I just think they just need that positivity to really push them on. You can't f- guarantee they're going to get there, but whatever the case, everyone's just got to get behind them. Were you uh, the last time this happened? Gary Johnson was in charge ten years yeah. ago. Were you around the squad at that point? Yeah. Yeah, so, so I, when they went to the when I was in the stand so I was about 18 before I did my knee so it was when I was 18 and I was in the stand there with players at the time it was like Richard Keogh Cole Skews mm. wasn't playing at the time there was a few of us and, and I would argue that the team I've seen this year is better than that team that team was experienced and it ground out results it won 1-0 a lot I think we did you play match that season? no I, I was just coming through I was just sort of breaking into the first team squad on the bench yeah. and things but yeah. I didn't play and that team was very experienced it ground out results it won 1-0 so many times I think it even had a negative goal difference by the end of the season we finished like third or fourth something like that so it just showed that team actually wasn't a, a fantastic team that was mm. beating everyone easy but it just ground out results kept going the team I see at Bristol now is much more talented it's got loads of better players in my opinion maybe they're lacking a bit of experience and, and, and maybe things haven't gone their way whatever it is confidence but they should take heart from that I genuinely feel Bristol City with the team that I was in and around got within 90 minutes of promotion to the Premiership yep. And I genuinely would say I wouldn't swap that team for the team and wow. the squad that's at Bristol yeah. City now. So, and I mean that as the nicest compliment I can give them. But if they could, if Bristol City could get their act together, get that that sharp that that sharpness back, that confidence back to just even just even just a one 0 win on Saturday that might just switch their mind and just think, oh, we can do this. Actually, they might. I'm sure they're feeling a lot of pressure, a lot of weight on their shoulders at the minute. But if they can just go back to enjoying their football being positive the, the games I saw in the cup runs and some of the other league games they played like they had no weight on their shoulder they yes. played so it was free yeah. that's when they play at the best because they've got so many creative players they need to play like that that's their game you that's need to go model. give them a team talk <laughs> oh, yeah. but that's their that's their model that's their style and I can see from the, from what I've heard and what I've been seeing they're playing with a weight on their shoulders and that's not their style they're not they're not that team and the team that 
I have been involved in before at Bristol, they would take that on. They were happy to be more safe and steady, score on the counter-attack thing. This team's not. It's different. It's more of a creative side. They need to have the shackles turned off and just be confident and go for it. That's when they're at the most dangerous. I'm going to see if that happens in the final few yeah. games. One final question then for you, Christian, from Scott, who's tweeted us. He said, how do you keep your hair looking so slick? It is a good head of hair. And when you're playing football, it never looked out of place. Do you fair. think? Well, I, Didn't I was, even wear an ass band. Do you know what? I just, no, I, that's because I wasn't good enough to wear it. I thought many a time to wear a band and I bought a few at home. I'll be in the mirror putting it on thinking, can I wear this? Can I wear it? And I never, ever wore one. Not even Did in training. Just lots of broken. No, I don't. Not not good enough. So I, I, <laughs> I do you know what? I, I always had short hair till I was about 23, 24 and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to grow it. And I ended up having a massive mane of it because it's quite thick. It got really yeah, long, yeah. really blonde. It was everywhere. And I remember playing games for Exeter. And it was in my hair, in my eyes, everything. Yeah. And I'd be playing. I'd get the ball, and my hair be in my eyes, and I'd have to sweep it out of my eyes yeah. to then pass it. And I thought, no, this is getting ridiculous. So then I start, I've got kind of bit, and then, yeah, it's just been a bit of a mainstay now. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't see myself without it. You'll have to pass uh, Scott your hairdresser's number. Yeah, no Christian, problem. thank you so much for coming on. Fascinating to talk to you about no your problem. career and, and Bristol City as well. And I'm just going to put you on the spot here. Are Bristol City going to make the playoffs? I think they're going to get there, definitely. And I think that probably the best team in the playoffs at the minute, you'd say, is Fulham. And I think they're going to finish third. I don't think they're going to catch Cardiff. I'm a, a big positive fan of Bristol. I think they're going to get playoffs, and I think they're going to get to final. That's my honest opinion. Yeah, Christian Rivera said it. It's going to happen. Thank you for coming on. No problem. Great to talk to Christian about his experiences at Bristol City, his injuries and what the future holds for him and what he thinks of Bristol City as well. Now on to another special guest who I managed to grab at a moment with this week. I'm talking about ex-Bristol City striker on loan last season, the top scorer from last season, Tammy Abraham. Tammy, thanks for coming on the podcast. No so made yourself a Bristol City legend in one season <laughs> last year. How did you find playing down at Ashton Gate? Yeah, for me, it was it was phenomenal. I enjoyed every single moment about it. And um, it was a club that really put me on a map. And um, even at the tough times, when we went a couple, a couple games beaten, um, for me, it was just... I had to take the positives out of that and um, it made me stronger and it made me a better player. Do you still stay in touch with the boys and, and Lee Johnson? Because obviously Lee Johnson really helped your game come on a lot, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. For a coach to believe in you in such a young age and to play you in games and to obviously scout you for the team, is, it was, gave me a lot of confidence. And uh, yeah, I still talk to the boys and keep up with them and yeah, they're doing well. Talk the likes of like Bobby Reed, who's well, banging in goals. Yeah, I wanted to come on to Bobby Reed because everyone was like, "Oh, how? What's? How are we going to replace Tammy Abraham?" And no mm. one was really watering in summer, and it was like, "Well, who's going to get those goals mm. that Tammy got last season?" But hey, there's Bobby Reed. Are you surprised with how well he's done in that new position? I'm not surprised, but for me, he's always been an outstanding player, and I've believed he, he just needed to add goals to his game. That's the only thing he was missing, and. Now he's scoring goals, he's a complete player. And, um, yeah, I'm really happy for him and the boys. What do you think these boys are capable of this season? You know, because it's so hard in football. People become negative so quickly, mm -hmm. don't they? Mm -hmm. And they're quick to get on people's backs. And, OK, the run recently hasn't been good. But yeah. look at the season. It's been a great season. They're one point outside the playoffs still. Maybe a bit of luck in that recently. Mm. Do you think they can make the playoffs? For me, I definitely believe they can make the playoffs. Um, obviously, they've, they've had a fantastic team since last season to be fair and just the results weren't going our way and this year it's, it's been going well for them and um, yeah I believe in them and they're only a point away so they just need to keep pushing thank you so much Tommy thank you
There we are then, a jam-packed podcast this week. We'll be back next week. Gregor will be back from his holiday as well as we reflect on what is a huge game against Millwall this weekend. Bristol City still very much in the running. Lee Johnson said his players need love at the moment. And as a result, I have written his players a bit of a love letter, you could call it. Check out my column in the Bristol Post this weekend and online, of course, as well. And if you're listening on iTunes, please rate and review the podcast and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Robins on the Wire.